so much, praise team, this morning for leading us to our blessed Savior. It's been wonderful singing, and thank you for your testimony also as you lead us week by week. We're so very, very grateful. Last Sunday, a friend told me um, about learning the Hebrew word for love while traveling in Israel. And uh, I was not aware of this particular word, but I said I would try to look it up during the week and see what I could learn about it. Now, little did I realize that uh, this word, uh, ahava, by the way, in Hebrew, you read it from right to left, and the pronunciation is ahava. Little did I realize in this conversation last week that this very word would be in the text I'm preaching from today. In fact, take your Bibles and turn to Ruth chapter 4, page 415 in the Bible in the chair in front of you. And look with me at verse 15. This is the only place in the whole book where Ahava, love, appears. And notice what is said. To Naomi about this kinsman redeemer baby that has been born, he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, Ruth, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. The only place in the whole book where this wonderful word occurs, and yet you know it is the key to the whole story of Ruth. Now last week we saw a wonderful definition of love from the second president of the Moody Bible Institute, R.A. Torrey. And he defined love in a very clear and helpful way. He said, real love is entirely unselfish. It loses sight utterly of self-interest and sets itself to seeking the interest of the person loved. Now, this is very, very much the meaning of this Hebrew word, ahava. And we have been seeing this fleshed out for us in the whole book of Ruth. Ruth unselfishly seeks the interest of Naomi. Boaz unselfishly seeks the interests of Ruth. Naomi then unselfishly seeks the interests of Ruth as well. And Ruth unselfishly seeks the interests of both Boaz and Naomi. And behind it all is God, unselfishly seeking the interests of His people for His glory. Now it shouldn't surprise us then when we come to the final chapter that this whole issue of Ahava, of love, in the story is wrapped up for us. In fact, I would say the theme of chapter 4 is what is true love? What is Ahava? We could call this chapter the tests of true love. And last week, as we began to look at this final episode, we saw two of the tests of true love. Now this morning, as we continue, I want us to see two more of what it really means to be a person who loves. 
Remember last week we saw these two. First of all, true love takes responsible actions. And then secondly, we saw true love willingly pays a price. Now this morning, let's add a third and the fourth. Let's notice, thirdly, that true love always and ever is willing to accept accountability. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Ruth 4, where you're at. And let's pick up the story at verse 7, and I want to read down through verse 10. The Bible says, Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property, to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer who did not want to marry Ruth and therefore redeem the property, said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses, that I bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today, you are witnesses. Now, verses 7 and 8 show us how legal transactions involving property occurred in a pre-literate culture. There was very little legal writing of documents uh, like deeds for buying property. And since land boundaries were marked off by walking, a sandal sort of became a symbol of possession and ownership. And so when land was sold, uh, a seller would take off his sandal and he would symbolically hand it over to the buyer as sort of a deed. And now by handing over this sandal, the nearer relative, who does not want to uh, perform the responsibilities of the Redeemer, of the Leveret marriage partner, he hands over that sandal to say, I'm giving up the rights to Naomi's land and to the hand of Ruth in marriage. But then I want you to notice that Boaz does another thing. In verses 10 and 11, he gives a very detailed speech about what he is doing. I'm sure that as I read those verses, you notice that. Now here's what we would do today. Uh, we would uh, write all of this down. Uh, we would have witnesses sign forms, and we would have those forms notarized by a notary public. They could not do that then. In oral cultures, the way you legalize something depended upon many oral witnesses. In fact, you will notice three times in what is said here, the witnesses are attested as attesting to this formal legal deal. Um, look back in verse 9. Boaz says to the people, Today you are witnesses. Notice at the end of his speech in verse 10, he repeats it again. Today, you are witnesses. 
And then notice all the elders and the crowd that had gathered at the, uh, uh, the, the courtyard there where official business was done. They say in verse 11, now for the third time, we are witnesses. This is why Boaz goes into all this detail so that everything will be fully attested. Notice what he does. He names all five people. The living as well as the dead that are involved in this. Naomi, Elimelech, Kilion, Malone, and Ruth. Notice he gives Ruth her full legal title. He calls her Ruth the Moabitess, Malone's widow. By the way, this is the first time now that we learn which son Ruth was married to. We haven't known that until now. And then he gives the purpose. At the end of verse 10, he says the purpose of all of this is to fulfill the responsibility to raise up a son for Naomi's family. By the way, in verse 10, when he says, so that Elimelech and Malone's name will not disappear from among his family, the phrase will not disappear literally means to be cut off. In the ancient Near East, to lose your property or your name was considered a very dreadful fate. It was almost as though after your death, if that happened, you went out of existence and you somehow lost the inheritance that God had promised to your family. So all of this that Boaz is doing for his relatives is extremely critical and he gives not only the facts, but he gives the purpose behind the facts so that later on no one can attest or dispute what he is doing. But I want you to notice here another reason why Boaz goes into all of this detail. It's to hold himself accountable. It's to hold himself accountable. Did you notice how Boaz separates acquiring the land from marrying Ruth? Did you see that? In verse 9, he talks about acquiring the land. But then in verse 10, he separates out Marrying Ruth, I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, Malone's widow, as my wife. Do you notice here how delicate and how respectful Boaz is? You see, ancient cultures treated wives like chattel. They were very much like a piece of property to be bartered for and bought and sold. But not so the Jews. For the Jews' wives were full partners in God's intentions for creating believing families. And Boaz is very delicate. He's very, very respectful here. Even though Ruth is of a despised race, the Moabites, you see no condescension here. You see no sense of superiority on the part of Boaz. In fact, what he does is he promises to all these legal witnesses, 
I am going to be a good and caring husband to Ruth. In fact, do you know? This is the marriage ceremony right here. Right here in verse 10, Boaz is making his vows. Now, how do we know that? Well, we know that for three reasons. One is the tense in verse 10 in the Hebrew grammar indicates to us that Boaz is marrying Ruth at the very moment that he speaks these words. So when he says, I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malone's widow, as my wife, the tense of the verb there is, I am doing this right now. I'm making my vows to her at this very moment. And then the way that he does it, when he says, I will acquire Ruth, and then he gives her full title as my wife, that's the traditional language for marriage. It would be like very much this day saying, uh, I take you to be my beloved wife. But then the clincher is in verse 13. Drop down to verse 13 and notice what it says. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. That's the clincher. After all the well wishes in verses 11 and 12, Boaz and Ruth in verse 13 consummate their marriage. Now I learned something very, very powerful here. Powerful about true love in marriage and elsewhere. True love is always willing to be accountable. A number of years ago, Pastor Hank and I heard Pastor Steve Farrer preach at the Moody Pastors Conference. He wrote a book entitled, Finishing Strong, How a Man Can Go the Distance. And in that book, this is what he said. He said, every one of us needs friends who love us enough to make us explain our actions. All God's people said. And then he went on. That's a safeguard, a safety net for us. That kind of friend is like a guardrail on a narrow road through mountains. And that's exactly right. Many of you may not be aware that the pastors turn in reports every month to our elders. Even when we miss a month, we make it up and we turn it in later. And it's not because they do not trust us. It's because those reports are like a guardrail for our ministry here at Bethel. This past week at our worship board meeting, our music director, Julie, said to the worship board, would you like to see the report of how I spend my time? And if we love this church, 
then we will want to be accountable for what we are doing in ministry at this church. We will keep no secrets. You see, what that will do for us, it will keep us from habits, practices, and temptations that are the exact opposite of love. And so every person needs trusted individuals in their life who hold them accountable. Every person needs to have individuals in their life where they keep no secrets from them And those are individuals that can call us to explain our actions. Because as soon as we are individuals who are keeping secrets, it will not be long and those secrets will catch up with us. Let me just for a moment here speak about accountability to our marriage partners because that's really what Boaz is doing. There is a growing trend today of people living together without getting married. I'm amazed that this trend is even occurring among senior citizens. Uh, Perhaps you know some. I've encountered some in my ministry. And here's the feeling. Well, we love each other. Maybe we're planning to get married anyway. So what's wrong with cohabitation? Why do we need a little piece of paper to confirm the fact that we love one another? Let me give you two reasons why that little piece of paper is absolutely critical. Number one, the Bible says so. The Bible says so. There are two actions that are needed for marriage a public commitment, and a private consummation. You see both of these here with Ruth and Boaz. Verse 10 is Ruth and Boaz's public legal commitment before witnesses. Verse 13 is their private consummation in the privacy of their own bedroom. Now, the first action is a legal transaction that is witnessed by many. The second action is a private action that is for the couple of alone. What we see here going on in this chapter, in this marriage, are simply what the whole Bible says it takes to create a marriage, a public commitment followed by a private consummation. And so why is that piece of paper so important? Well, first of all, because the Bible says so. Secondly, that little piece of paper is important because of accountability to our marriage vows. Public legal vows hold us accountable to our marriage partner. You see, without them, if we do not have them, We can walk away anytime we please, and no one can force us to be accountable. There are multitudes of adults and children today who are suffering because of cohabiting adults who have simply walked away from the situation. 
There are lots of other people who are suffering today because of marriage partners who walked away from each other and started cohabiting with somebody else. There's enormous suffering today because of that. But then I also want you to think about this. It also keeps you from abusing what is rightfully owed to somebody's future spouse. In my former church one day, a sweet, young, single Christian lady came to me with this story. She thought a man in our church was a godly, upstanding Christian. But one evening in her apartment, he took inappropriate liberties with her. She was devastated. Shocked that he did it. But then she said these words to me. She said, he took something from me that belongs to my future husband. I have never heard it put like that in my whole life. But I have thought, do you know how many people feel the same way? Robbed of something they planned to give to their life partner. Now, very fortunately, that man repented. He asked for forgiveness. And she graciously forgave him. It was wonderful to be a part of that kind of forgiveness. But the violation she still felt was very painful. And why is that little piece of paper, that legal document, so important? It's important for this reason. When I am with somebody that I know is not lawfully yet mine, it keeps me from robbing them, and it keeps me from robbing a person who down the road may belong to them. It creates an accountability for those of us who are married. But it also creates an accountability for those of us who anticipate marriage. There's a wonderful Christian ministry down in Chattanooga, Tennessee. It is called Leadership Ministries Worldwide. This is what they said in one of their books. The most loving thing you can do for a brother or sister in Christ is to hold him or her accountable. The most loving thing you can do for yourself is to have others who hold you accountable. Remember, true love is not prideful. It does not rejoice in someone's wrongdoing. Instead, love is kind and patient, helpful and caring. That is the kind of man that Boaz intends to be. And now he says to the whole town, I want you to hold me accountable to be that kind of man. And that is always the nature of true love. 
It is willing to be accountable to trusted people who can ask us to explain our actions. Now, in this story, as we continue on, we discover that there is a fourth quality of love. And that is true love receives God's reward. True love receives God's reward. Now, even if I didn't say this to you today, all of us would guess that this is how the book of Ruth would end. Because this is the kind of God that He is. Uh, Hebrews 11.6 says this, God rewards those who earnestly seek Him. God is a God who rewards. And as we come to the end of this book, what we discover in these three individuals are the universal principles for how God rewards people who love. Now, think about this. If we live a life of responsible actions, if we're willing to pay a price for the benefit of others, if we're willing to be accountable so that we will be a person of integrity who loves other people in the way that they ought to be loved, put that all together, will not the God that we believe in then reward us for that? And the answer is absolutely He will. So let's, let's read the verses for just a moment and then we'll look at these universal principles that are true for every person who practices this kind of love. Look with me at verse 11. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. By the way, uh, uh, we are speaking about this man today, are we not? So I think this has come true. Then look at verse 12. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, which means one who serves. By the way, when I got here, I wanted to say, and they named him Oberg, but I didn't figure you would <laughs> fall for that. Oberg is a nice name, but Obed means one who serves. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez, the most significant, influential line in the line of Judah. Perez was the father of Hezron. 
Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Abinadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. This is how God rewards. And every single one of us, in one way or another, is included if we know Christ. Let's notice how God rewards with Ruth. Sometimes God rewards us with our desires. In verse 13, she got a husband, and she got a baby boy who was born to a miracle birth. Everything that Ruth longed for, she received, and it was a direct gift of God because verse 13 says, the Lord enabled her to conceive. She had been barren in her first marriage for ten years. She was married to a young man, couldn't conceive. Now she's married to an older man, and immediately she conceives. This was a direct gift of God. And sometimes God gives us exactly our desires. How about Naomi? From Naomi we learn, always God rewards us with our needs. Naomi didn't get a husband. She didn't get a miracle birth directly to her. What did she get? Well, she got a kinsman redeemer. Verse 14. And in verse 16, when she took him and placed him into her lap and cared for him, that is a formal act of adoption. What it meant through the Leverite marriage, the son not only now was Ruth's, but now was also legally Naomi's, and he was the son who would provide for her security. And then verse 15, the ladies remind her, all of this has come about because of your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons. In Israel, a family of seven sons was the highest possible blessing anyone could have. And now they are saying, you are blessed even beyond that because you have this woman who has been so committed and loyal to you and now God has blessed her through you, through her. And I look at that today and I say, you know what? You may not have what you want. But haven't we all received what and who we need? Isn't that true? Of course it is. And then look at the lesson we learn from boys. Sometimes God rewards future generations through us. Boaz was in the line of Perez. And that was the line that gave birth to David. So Boaz becomes an ancestor of David. And so the prayer that he would become very famous absolutely happens because in the last two verses of the book, he is the great-grandfather of David. 
He probably never lived because he was an older man when he was married to see David anointed king, but he blessed Israel because he was the great-grandfather who gave them their greatest king. Perhaps I've never told you this. I'm a fourth-generation Christian on both sides of my family. On my mother's side, there have been five pastors who came from my great-grandfather. I did not know that until I came up here, went to a family reunion in Gladstone, and discovered I am the fifth of those five pastors. On my father's father's side, there have been three pastors who came since my great-grandfather, and I am the third. And one of the things that I cannot wait to do when I arrive in heaven is to find those ancestors of mine and thank them. Thank them for what they did for my family and for me. Please hear me very carefully this morning. If we will live faithfully for God now, we have no idea who we will bless in the future. Please hear that. If we will live faithfully for God now, someday there may be a young man or woman whose life has been tremendously influenced because of our faithfulness. Finally, the last lesson. Boaz and Ruth. Always God rewards us in eternity. You know how this story ends. Boaz and Ruth become ancestors of Christ. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 1? The New Testament begins with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. By the way, one little hint in the genealogy as to why Boaz was willing to marry a Gentile from a despised nation, Moab. His father had married Rahab the Canaanite. And in the example of his own father, he saw a man who was willing to marry an outcast who had come to faith in Christ and had been transformed. And he saw that own example in his own family, and now he, as he sees Moab, a Moabite, and sees her as an outcast whose life has been transformed, he now is willing to marry her as well. And notice what we read, verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now drop down to verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, 
Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. Boaz and Ruth gave Jesus to us. And all believers will be in heaven for eternity through them. Their rewards will multiply and multiply and multiply for all eternity. Next Sunday, I'll bring my last message from the book of Ruth. It'll be entitled, Christ in the Book of Ruth. As you know, Boaz is an illustration of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's the ultimate kinsman redeemer. And so next Sunday, we will trace the picture of Christ through this amazing book. But as I close this morning, I want to share with you one of my favorite poems of all time. It is a poem we don't know the author to. The title of the poem is simply God's Pay. And listen carefully as I read for you the words penned by this unknown person. Who does God's work will get God's pay. However long may seem the day However weary be the way, though powers and princes thunder nay, who does God's work will get God's pay. He does not pay as others pay in goods that vanish and decay, but God in wisdom knows a way, and that is sure, let come what may, who does God's work will get God's pay. And all of God's people said together this morning, you can count on it. You can count on it. Let's bow together, shall we? In just a moment, we'll sing, our service will be concluded, and our thoughts will be taken to other things. And I know some of us here today need to make decisions. Some of us need to look at what true love is to our families, our spouses, to our church, to God. And we need to bring these tests home. 
to where we really live. Do I take responsible actions? Am I willing to pay whatever price is necessary to sacrifice? Am I accountable? So there are no secrets in my life that no one knows. And am I believing and convinced that if I will do God's work in His way, that now and in eternity I will get His pay? However God is speaking to you right now, you need to respond to Him. Maybe the secret needs to come off. Maybe somebody needs to know. And as hard as that may be, you need to come clean. Whatever it might be, you deal with it now. Because God is wanting to bless you as He did His people in this wonderful book. Lord, today I ask that you would deal with our hearts. The book of Ruth is theological history. It's not a story about way back when. It is principles about God and His dealings with people now. And I pray, Lord, for those in the sound of my voice, some who may need to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that you would bring them to that place. I pray for others who are lackadaisical in their walk with you, in their commitment to a local church. I pray for others who are hiding things that no one knows, somehow thinking it will never come out. There will never be damage. Whatever the issues are, Father, thank you for your word, which is so clear and concise, so unmistakable. And help us today to respond as you would have us to. We thank you, Lord. We love you today, from whom all blessings flow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.